Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to be talking about the vaccine issue here in the state of Ohio, and it actually has become a very divisive issue. To be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, that seems to be the question. In fact, the vaccine wars are actually raging across the landscape, and we're going to get into the details about this. Of course, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine. Well, a number of hospital associations have announced that they are mandating that their staff are required to get the vaccine regardless of whether the staff has actually had COVID, recovered, has immunities, or has chosen not to for personal or health reasons not to get the vaccine. And so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about House Bill 248. Uh, State Representative uh, Jennifer Gross introduced that bill earlier this year, and it is already back on the schedule. We're going to talk about that. But first of all, I'd like to read to you a statement as Governor DeWine made a statement about there being two Ohios, and we're, we put a statement out uh, on Friday because the governor made this announcement on Friday, and it was very shocking to a lot of people, so I want to read to you our release. Turning Ohioans on each other, a response to Governor DeWine's unwise statement concerning the vaccinated and unvaccinated in Ohio. Earlier today, Governor DeWine made the following statement at a press briefing. The governor said we are at a new stage of the pandemic. We truly have two Ohios, one group of people who are safe against the variant and another group of people who unfortunately are not. What Governor DeWine was referencing was vaccinated and unvaccinated Ohioans. OCA President Chris Long made the following statement in response. Governor DeWine, with his statement today, pitted one group of Ohioans against another, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. This is something I never thought I would hear from the governor of Ohio. Governors are to seek the common good welfare of their citizens, not to tear them apart or divide them. In his brief statement today, Governor DeWine went against his own counsel. From the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak last year, Governor DeWine reassured Ohioans that we would get through this together. But with today's statement, he has unwisely divided the people. Those who wanted to get the vaccine have been able to do so since its availability earlier this year. Other Ohioans, however, have chosen due to personal or health reasons to not get the vaccine, following their own good judgment. With this statement today, it is evident that Governor DeWine no longer trusts the good judgment of his fellow Ohioans. We urge the governor to rescind his divisive and reckless statement. Ohioans have already been through great difficulty with a coronavirus outbreak due to the shutdowns and isolation. What they need from those in government is the use of better judgment to unite us, not divide us. That was a statement that was released by the Ohio Christian Alliance on Friday as Governor DeWine talked about there being two Ohios. And again, this comes on the heels of some very outrageous statements in the major media and from those on the East Coast, left-wing Democrats who are talking about passports for vaccines, that you can't go into a a restaurant, you can't go into a bar or an entertainment venue without showing proof of being vaccinated. There are others are calling that on national television, on CNN and MSNBC and other liberal outlets, stating, well, maybe we should not allow people to go to grocery stores. 
to buy their groceries if they don't get vaccinated. And yet there's even a report that Bill Gates himself, who's been pushing this vaccine, is saying that people should be withheld of their Social Security benefits if they don't get the vaccine. These kinds of alarming and reckless statements by people that should know better are actually causing a real divide in this country. And right now in Ohio, the battle is raging because there are people that are having to make determinate decisions about their employment as their employers are requiring them to get a vaccine, regardless of their personal decision not to get the vaccine, whether they've already had COVID, recovered, have immunities, and their doctors are advising them not to get the vaccine because they have immunities, and there actually has been some complications with people who have had COVID, recovered, and taken the vaccine. And they shouldn't, you know, by their own advisement of their own doctors. So for personal and health reasons, people are choosing not to get the vaccine. Here comes the mandates. It's also at a time when people that have been vaccinated are actually getting the variant. They are actually getting COVID. I know of a couple that is close to our organization. They both travel to the East Coast. One was unvaccinated, did not choose to get vaccinated. The other was vaccinated. And uh, the wife got COVID and she was vaccinated. The, the husband did not. Uh, he got COVID. He wasn't vaccinated. He says, I'm glad I finally got it, got over it. Now I have the immunities. But the curious thing is there, his wife who got the vaccine got COVID as well. These are the kinds of things you're not hearing in the broad and mainstream media, but it is available on the internet and it's available by a number of medical researches. Well, that debate's going to continue and more information is getting out. And we're hearing people on Capitol Hill, like Senator Rand Paul, who put out a video that's really gone viral, and YouTube has taken it down. We also asked Twitter to boost our press release that you just heard me read. They denied us the boost. They said it was political in nature. It's not. There's no campaign for governor. We're a public policy, uh, nonprofit, religious organization. We were making a statement about a very important public policy issue. They denied us. This is called censorship, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what we're faced today. And again, with me on the phone is State Representative Jennifer Gross. And she is a uh, freshman representative who is just uh, serving us in uh, her first term. But she's already making some headway and some headlines. And uh, Representative, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys. Well, you know, I'm looking at your release that you put out on Thursday, on uh, August 5th, and I was unaware when we put out our release, I was unaware that you put out this release as you sent a letter to the governor, the Speaker of the House, the Senate president, and you're urging them to call for an emergency session to address House Bill 248, which would uh, basically have some vaccine freedoms or uh, broad except, uh, exemptions for people who have are choosing for personal reasons or health reasons uh, or maybe even religious reasons not to get the vaccine. And that bill got stammied in the House this last spring, and you're urging that it move forward. And uh, your fellow representatives obviously are realizing this is important because they've moved it up on the schedule. Uh, the chairman of the committee has called for a hearing on the 24th of this month, much earlier than the, the September um, uh, reconvene. And so, obviously, calls are going into the state house. Lots of representatives are hearing from their constituents. I spoke at a group at Ashland last night. There were four healthcare workers in the small crowd, and all of them were saying this is a real problem. 
and two of them saying, I'm going to lose my job. One was a single mom who is a, an expert in uh, her medical field, and she's going to lose her job over not uh, complying with the vaccine mandate. Your thoughts? That's right. I, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that, that an individual would need to roll up their sleeve and take an element, a medical element, into their body to be able to work. To me, there's something abhorrent about a person having to make that decision um, against, I mean, it's sort of, it is with their will, but it is against their, they may have fear and the fear is, is very real for them. And they still, because they need to feed their family, they're a single mom. I mean, most of the cases that I use with you today, well, all of them will be actual cases of people that I've spoken to that I know of that have written me um, about this whole entire situation. Single mom, mother of two, uh, just got out of school, college alone, uh, told by her employer, you either get the jab or you go on unemployment. And in some cases, they're telling hospitals are telling employees they can't even get unemployment because it's a condition of employment. That's, I don't know that that's true, but I will say that I will make sure that if someone loses their job, that they are not discriminated against, which is what the bill does. It does not allow discrimination due to vaccine status. But I will be sure that those people, if they are coerced or forced to make a decision not to get the shot and then they are terminated, that their that their unemployment benefits are not affected by that decision. Let me read the statement you put out in in part. We cannot allow the COVID-19 vaccination to become a condition for participation in public life, Gross said. Mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations in any circumstances are prohibited and all three exemptions should be offered to all Ohioans for all vaccinations. Under House Bill 248, the three exemptions for all vaccines are medical, religious, and of reasons of conscience and uh, purposes. Gross noted that Ohioans continue to face employment termination, loss of raises, forced masking, and forced weekly COVID-19 testing due to employment mandates related to COVID-19 vaccine. Tragically, the freedoms of Ohioans are being encroached upon as they are now being forced to choose between their personal health care choices, their livelihood, and their education. i got to tell you, Representative, thank you for making this statement. And again, I was unaware of your release because the State House News Bureau did not make that known. And again, really? you know, I, oh, that's right. So I had to go to your website to find it. And I passed it out to the group last night. We're going to put it out in our email. And I'm glad you're on the radio program today. So, folks, when you're listening to us right now, and again, we are not saying that people should not get vaccinated. I've never stated that. Our organization has. People are choosing to get vaccinated. That's fine. There are those, though. In fact, it's 50 percent of the population are saying, you know, I don't want to get vaccinated or I want to wait a little longer. This is still an experimental drug. This is still an experimented, experimental uh, vaccine, if you want to call it a vaccine. The F- it's not does not exactly. have FDA approved and approval. And by the way, Representative, I got to tell you, you know, people think, oh, the FDA is going to approve it. I'm not so sure. That's a bureaucracy that's had a long standing and it's as stubborn as the filibuster, which right now in the Senate is stopping a lot of bad things that the Democrats want to push through 
legislatively. Right. And the FDA just might, you. yeah, the FDA just might not approve this thing. And, and especially there's every day that goes by the Veers reporting system. It's a volunteer reporting system. And it was uh, launched back in 1986 of people that have complications or even deaths from vaccine taking. And they had, with the COVID-19 vaccines, I think the last total was like something like 500,000 anomalies. These are problems that people have had. And the deaths reported, one reporting was 5,000, and the CDC said, it came out itself and said, the death rate is actually triple that. Representative, wow. those kinds of numbers, I don't understand how we're even having this conversation of mandating this thing. What is I know, going Chris, on? You know what? <laughs> Honestly... We shouldn't even need HB 248. I mean, I'm sure in my in my heritage, in my genealogy is Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. And I will say to you that this vaccine is, or this treatment, this jab, that's why I've started calling it that, this shot is about freedom. It's about do you an individual have the right to tell me that I need to get my shot to keep you safe? Or does your employer become, in a sense, an overlord who says, in order to get a paycheck, you must do this because I feel fearful. I'm afraid I'm going to be litigated. I'm afraid, whatever the rationale, my money, my earnings is going to be lower. So if you don't get the jab, I'm afraid. Do they, does their right Trump your right as an individual to um, to choose your health care, and and I and and there are a lot of things I I would like to tell your listeners that I am a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. I did serve in combat zones. I was a nurse, but and I'm also practicing. Well, I'm not practicing right now, but I'm a nurse practitioner, and so. We usually give a patient the opportunity to say, here are the things that we recommend for you. We would like you to do this. We would like you to do this. Or you could have this option. And then we give it to the individual, the patient, the client, and we say, what would you like to do? Or they say, well, I want to think about this. Even if you had a cancer patient, an oncologist is going to give them a couple of options and they're going to say, which one would you like to choose? These are your options. If it's uh, strep throat, there are people who penicillin is needed for 20% of them. And then, you know, some people don't ever get seen and they have strep and they're fine. Now there are very serious complications to strep. But, but the fact of the matter is that, that you deserve the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This bill has always been about the freedom to choose. If you want to get the shot, get the shot. If you don't want to get the shot, don't get the shot. The fact that I have to make a bill to stand up for freedom is disturbing to me as a 21-year Air Force lieutenant colonel. Well, Representative, we're so thankful that you're taking this stand. And, uh, you're, you know, again, hearings will conduct on August the 24th. There has already been walkouts at hospitals, even today, of nurses that are saying, okay, this is enough. So let me give the picture to the listeners. These are people that worked on the front lines that you called heroes last year during the COVID-19 pandemic. They worked without a vaccine or any additional protection that the rest of us didn't have in the general public. People called them heroes. These same people now are being ridiculed at their work if they don't take the vaccine. Even though many of them have been exposed to COVID-19, 
they've actually had COVID-19 and recovered by the medical profession. They have immunities and antibodies. Uh, the the uh, judgment on that is that your immunities could last much longer than the few months they first were predicting. Now they're saying several years or maybe even a lifetime. There's no mm-hmm. evidence that the variant, that people who have had COVID and recovered are getting the variant. There's no widespread uh, indication of that. Yet, people who have the vaccine are getting COVID. That's what's happening in Boston in the breakout up there, and they're calling it breakthrough cases. So, Representative, you might be because I said to my wife, I said, I'm reading this in the paper. What do they mean in this report, breakthrough crisis? She said, that means people that have been vaccinated that are now have COVID and, and some of which have been hospitalized. So again, we were all hoping that the vaccine would have worked. But again, mm-hmm. the vaccine is having its own issues and problems. So in yeah. Israel, where 90% of the people were vaccinated, Many of them were have, uh, acquiring COVID, and they're having to find other remedies to address, uh, actually, treatments. So we've come a long way with treatments, okay? But again, this is an adult conversation, as you say, Representative, and as a medical professional, this is a, a discussion between a patient and their doctor. This is supposed right. to be the sanctum of that decision, not your employer saying, right. hey, you either do this or you're out the door. And that's what's happening. And the listeners on this broadcast, they need to understand that a lot of these hospital associations that are actually calling for this, there's going to be a large, uh, many people leaving their jobs. In my wife's small hospital, there's at least 40. They were shocked when they made the announcement because nobody said, hey, I'm not getting the vaccine. They just went about their business. But when they became mandated, they had to let their employer know, I can't do that. There were tears. There were people that were shaking. Yep. There were people that were upset. And I'm talking about administrators knowing that they're going to lose these subordinates and these people that work with them that are vital to the operation of the hospital representative. It's going to be a medical crisis in this state. That's not another That's statement. Right. That's right. And I would argue that as a representative, it is our job to act. It is our job to protect the health and safety of all individuals, but it's also our job to protect the health and safety of the state, to have our healthcare workers. I had a nurse call me Monday that said she worked in a COVID unit. She was told, and I won't tell you what hospital, but she was told if you get COVID symptoms and they're not that bad, come to work anyway, you're already in a COVID unit. So now this nurse is being, they're telling her she has to get the COVID vaccine. And she's been in the unit exposed and also was told, if you get it, come anyway, because you're treating COVID, you're working with COVID anyway. These things create, you know, Ohioans may or may not, they may be metal workers, they may be nurse practitioners, they may be uh, working at Walmart, wherever they're going. They can look at this and they go, something is not right. And so that creates a hesitation. And then you hear the the differing, the disparaging numbers and things. I was also in part of Operation Warp Speed. Remember, the data, usually when we bring drugs to market, it's three to five years. And, And the number of people that got the shot in the studies and things, you had to have a number of breakthrough or the people that did not get COVID and then the numbers who did. Right. So... So now we're getting more numbers and we're starting to go, oh, maybe the numbers that that's why it takes a long time to bring medication to market, because these things get proven out when the study continues. 
And those that are getting the vaccine right now, it can be argued, since it is not FDA approved, all the people that are currently being mandated, the military, and which my heart goes out to them, they are in a phase three clinical trial because we have, this drug has not been FDA approved. So people don't like that. Well, they Juan, don't you, you, want you, that. Well, you brought up the military, and I wasn't going to get into it because that's a whole nother purview. But let me just tell you this. My son is, um, you know, served in the 82nd Airborne. He stays in con- contact. He was in for five years. He was God uh, bless three, him. Yeah, he was. Please uh, thank him. Well, two full years in Iraq, three different deployments, has a lot of friends in the military who are in different phases of their rank. They are leaving. They are leaving. Uh, whether they Listen to this. Whether they're court-martialed and lose their pension, they're leaving over this. So not only are we going to lose good military personnel, yep. good hospital personnel, this, yep. this, this thing is dividing the country. That's why I told that the governor, come yep. on, Gov, this is the time to unite us, not divide us. Don't go along right. with those lunatics over there on the East Coast that are saying outrageous things that you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go out in public you know, without your passport. Right. Okay, uh, Okay. we're under some kind of tyranny here. So, look, there's people standing up all over the place. I want to give the list of hospitals. Ohio State University uh, Wexner Medical Center mandating the vaccine. Ohio Health Systems mandating the vaccine. Nationwide Children's Hospital mandating the vaccine. Mount Carmel Health System. Ohio Hospital Association is telling all their hospitals to do it. Not all of them are. SUMA, a big hospital here in Northeast Ohio, they just announced the mandate. Representative, the Cleveland Clinic has not done so yet. In fact, they had a study last month that said those who have had COVID and recovered yep. have, have immunity yep. and should not be getting the vaccine. So, right. you know, the, 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 the evidence is out there. Your bill is addressing the concerns of a lot of Ohioans. So we thank you for it. I, you know, honestly, we need to give the message that Ohio is open for business because when you think of a state where everyone's going on vacation, what state comes to mind? Chris? Right. Yeah, that's right. Florida. Florida. Florida comes to mind. Ohio needs to be the the Florida of the Midwest. And the reason they are getting all that business besides their beaches and all those things is because Florida is open to freedom. They aren't just open to tourism and business. They are open to freedom, and Ohio must follow. We have to err on the side of freedom. We have to err on the side of freedom. Is it okay for me to talk about the Bible? Absolutely. Remember that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you begin to see humankind being forced and coerced and limited, God, and I'm talking godly freedom, that God's not in that. God is not in a world. And so humans will go where the freedom is. Look Amen. at our tourism. Amen. Look at our tourism. And businesses will come to Ohio. I, I, I was just recently talking to someone about our tourism industry today. Our tourism is hurting because they're afraid. They're afraid that our city is going to be closed for business. Well, Representative, we've we've run out of time, but thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, State Representative Jennifer Gross of the 52nd District. You can follow her there. And again, Representative, thank you for introducing this bill. We're in full support. God bless you. Thank you, Chris. God bless you.
Thank you. We will have you back because this is going to be a developing story. If you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad you've joined us. We're going to be talking about critical race theory. You've heard a lot about it in the news, and of course, uh, lots of groups are raising lots of concerns about critical race theory being taught in Ohio schools. We're going to go to a news clip from Fox News that was aired last September with Tucker Carlson and Peter Kersenow. Many of you know him. He's an attorney here in the Cleveland area. He is an African-American. He was also a member of the Civil Rights Council, the United States Commission on Civil Rights. So if anyone has uh, a voice of authority on this subject, it would be Peter Kersenow. Let's hear what he has to say about critical race theory. Well, mandatory taxpayer-funded trainings on critical race theory are terrible for the country, obviously, telling people who are defending America that America is not worth defending. But they also may be illegal. The Civil Rights Act bans discrimination based on race. The federal government, of course, has been ignoring that for years. How much longer can they? Peter Kersenow is a commissioner on the U.S. Civil Rights Commission right now, and he joins us tonight. We're happy to have him. Uh, Mr. Kersenow, thanks so much for coming on. How is this or how could this be illegal, do you believe? 
Well, it's not that it could be illegal. It depends on the configuration, but most of them that I've seen, and they've been going on for quite some time, they yes. expanded exponentially during the Obama administration, especially after the Michael Brown Ferguson incident. There was another explosion after the George Floyd incident. Virtually every significant corporation, academic institution, public employer has these types of trainings, and they're getting much more aggressive, much more anti-American, much more anti-white. Um, and to that extent, they are prohibited by Title VII, which clearly prohibits many of the things that they're doing in these trainings, such as many of them segregate employees on the basis of race, flatly unlawful. Many of them subject certain employees based on race and sex because it's, it's um, uh, designed to also attack males to a large extent. If you do something like that, that's also prohibited by Title VII and also creating a racially or, or sexually hostile work environment, in this case, mainly a racially hostile work environment, when you witness some of these trainings, they are truly extraordinary and astonishing. Not only are they based on a false narrative, but anyone who has to sit through them, are very, very many of them, are humiliated. Again, these programs aren't all the same, but many of them are so aggressive that they clearly transgress Title VII, and to some extent, you may even say that they may be a violation of 42 U.S.C. 1981. Why aren't there more lawsuits? Good question. It's mainly because employees are cowed. They don't want to lose their jobs. They don't know their right. rights. And in the current BLM zeitgeist, they're cowed against doing anything that seems to be against the prevailing narrative. You will see employees sit meekly as they are being subjected to the most vile and hostile acts. It's going on across the country, and it's going to be going on for quite some time unless there's some type of intervention. I applaud the Trump administration. First time ever has any administration done anything like this to intervene. Extremely important because this is maybe the most pernicious ideology we've ever seen in the United States, and I'm not overstating that. Um, it's going to continue because it's extraordinarily lucrative. You mentioned, I think, in your open, you know, that some of these are worth a few thousand dollars. I have seen very often that trainers charging between five to $10,000 per hour, $40,000 per session. And in addition to being lucrative, they're politically advantageous for the left and the Democratic yeah. Party because they undermine the whole premise of the United States of America, which then permits for the undoing of those institutions because they are racist and, and so on. Exactly. Because it undermines the entire premise of the United States of America. So nicely put, you're seeing the big picture, which we need to, I think, need to focus on. Peter Kirstenau, as always, thank you. Thanks, Tucker. And that was an interview with Peter Kersenauer on Tucker Carlson. That was in September of 2020. And of course, uh, a critical race theory is exploding all across the country. Also, the 1619 Project, which was basically not history, but someone's editorial piece. And it's being injected into the classroom across the country as historical fact. Uh, with us on the phone is state school board member John Hagan. He's a former state representative from Stark County. He is currently serving on the state school board. And last July, there was a resolution that was put forward by some state school board members uh, to push uh, critical race theory, uh, basically saying that America was systematically racist and that uh, this type of uh, doctrine or history would be taught in the schools. John was one of the voices on the state school board that raised concerns and voted against it. Unfortunately, uh, the resolution did pass. Now, understand something. A resolution by the state school board is just that. 
It's not in statute. Only the legislature can enact legislation. And currently, uh, the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate have measures to stop critical race theory in the Ohio classroom. But we're going to talk about why that might be harder task than, than what you might think. And with us on the phone again is John Hagan. John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. Well, thank you for taking time, and I want to say thank you for serving on the state school board. I've been to the, some of those state school board meetings, and wow, it can be pretty painful at times. But again, uh, the state school board, uh, you know, they, they have a number of functions that they uh, uh, conduct, but uh, legislation's not one of them. But putting forth these resolutions can be uh, basically steer the ship, as it were, and it's actually sounding, uh, you know, a note to the legislature: "Hey, we think that this ought to be taught." But the legislature is starting to fight back and saying, "No, we think that critical race theory should be banned." I've also personally talked to parents and students across the state who are concerned about critical race theory, which basically. Uh, flies in the face of what Martin Luther King said in his great uh, I Have a Dream speech uh, in Washington when he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. John, how have we come so far away from that principle of Dr. Martin Luther King? Well, I think that, you know, when we look at all of this, it seems like, uh, so much of this is emotion-driven. Uh, people have watched uh, the violence that has happened after and, and during situations uh, like the George Floyd incident. Uh, they get very emotional and somehow get detached from reality, in my opinion. Uh, if, you, if you listen to the mainstream media, you would think that uh, every person of color uh, has the target on their back and that police are uh, hunting them for sport. Uh, it, it's incredible that the numbers don't match the kind of projection that is out there. But, of course, people in their emotional uh, being tend to uh, get very sympathetic if they believe that to be the case. And I think that's probably a lot of what had happened with the uh, state school board, or I should say the majority of the state school board, uh, voting for a resolution. Uh, to back that up, let me read uh, the first sentence in the uh, preamble, and it is very simply this. As our nation grapples with the hard truths of racism and inequality, we're listening with broken hearts and engaging with determined spirits we acknowledge that Ohio's education system has not been immune to these problems. And while we earnestly strive to correct them, we have a great deal of work left to do. Now, you know, what I would say about that is uh, listening with broken hearts. Uh, I'm a Christian, and I see things that happen every day that I don't think are good, but I am not broken. I, I have faith that we have a stronger power that oversees everything here on the planet. And the idea that uh, we are brokenhearted over incidents across the country uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense to a rational person 
if you look at the country as a whole in the wonderful place it is to live. Well, that's right. That's um, America, as people have come from all across the world uh, to live under the tenets of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the wonderful representative form of government that we have in this country. And, of course, uh, your ancestry and mine, um, my uh, father's parents uh, were from uh, Italy. I have my mother's was from Ireland, and, of course, uh, so I'm Irish Italian in in uh, and so you know again our folks were not here during the the slavery period. In fact, we could even argue that on the Irish side, uh, they fought uh, in the Civil War. There was the Irish brigades in the north, and so our folks, uh, you know, in our ancestry, you know, had nothing to do with that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, obviously we've dealt with that as a nation with the Civil War. In fact, in in Ohio, uh, I was just visiting out in Hudson, Ohio, where um, John Brown uh, stood up and gave his famed proclamation in the Congregational Church there in Hudson, Ohio. It's a historic church because he said, I resolve this day, and there was an, it was a church that was involved with the abolitionist movement, and he said, I resolve this day to end slavery. And of course, you know, it was um, uh, Frederick Douglass that said that he was the meteor of the Civil War, you know, John Brown, because he went down there and with some uh, armed individuals to actually liberate slaves and to bring some of them north. Of course, it didn't turn out the way he thought, but it, it did, in, in, a, in a sense, start the Civil War, as it were. And so John, Br- John Brown was hailed by, you know, Frederick Douglass, but unfortunately, we don't hear that history. We're hearing something much different in the classroom. And, and I think a lot of students, I, I mean, a lot of parents in Ohio right now do not know that their students are being subjugated to this critical race theory, which is basically saying, oh, you should be ashamed of yourself. You have white privilege. Uh, you know, there's systematic racism. Uh, you know, you should not, uh, you know, feel proud about who you are because you are you are the reason why there are problems in minority communities. I mean, John, this is insane. This doesn't help anybody. And that's what Peter Kirstenauer, again, an African-American ser- serving on, the, uh, as a commissioner on the United States Commission on Civil Rights stated, I mean, he sees the problem. Uh, why can't some of these other state school board members who are educated and some of them former educators, how can, why can't they see it? Well, I, I agree. It seems like they're uh, looking at it with blinders. Uh, and again, you know, it, it, one of the things presented to the board uh, was a very cartoonish uh, delivery of a lot of bad things that have happened in the history of the country. Um, I try to look at this from the standpoint of, you know, what is the overall picture? How are we doing? How are we as a country and how are we as individuals doing in this country? And the answer is pretty darn well. Uh, The, you know, as they put forward the plan, I'll just read a couple more sentences here. And, and some of the things that I tried to inject into this discussion as this was coming forward. Uh, the resolution uh, states that whereas profound disparities between black, indigenous, and people of color, students, and their white peers exist in all parts of the Ohio education system. And my, my comment to that was, uh, if you want to say something like that, what you need to say is, between 
some black and some white. Uh, you, you can't lump everyone together because it's not true. You know, we have very successful uh, students of color and we have uh, white students that are failing. It, it, isn't, it isn't something in a resolution that you promote an idea that's not true. Uh, this did come across this way. And I, I, I want to address, before we get too far in here, uh, the process. And this, this resolution was brought forward by the president of the board. Uh, it was presented at uh, the meeting in June, and it was modified uh, through, the, through the month and brought to the board on, in July. And on July 14th, it was the last item on the agenda in a relatively long business day in a virtual meeting. This discussion went on till after 11 p.m. And the vote took place after 11 o'clock, after there were several uh, amendments went back and forth, and the people taking uh, care of the amendments uh, weren't able to keep up with the discussion. The vote went down without a final product, and we as members did not have the resolution that was passed until the 18th in the morning, about three and a half days after it passed. Uh, you know, what comes to mind for me is Nancy Pelosi, uh, you have to vote for the uh, bill in order to see what's in the bill. It's just, in my opinion, a terrible process, a terrible product, and this provides for the department uh, leeway that goes uh, very wide in going down this path that is far from the academics that we're charged to take care of with children. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. 
Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking with John Hagan. He is a state school board member of the 8th District, and he resides in Stark County. He's former state representative. And, John, as I think about this, I know there were no votes to this resolution. Again, as you said, it was a 2020 po- protocol virtual meeting of the state school board last June and July. Uh, the Liberals on the state school board, and I've seen the way that they've handled uh, protocol, they've actually... Uh, Robert's Rules of Order is something that they have just trashed time and again. I've, I was there with one of those catastrophes took place. I mean, you want to talk about chaos. One of the things that people have brought up is that uh, under the Voinovich administration, uh, Governor Voinovich, he wanted to actually have more of a hand as a governor in the state school board, and he wanted more appointed positions. And at that point, we took away some of the elected uh, positions and, and turn them over to appointees by the governor. People have begun to question that process and want to go back to an all-elected uh, state school board um, uh, process. In fact, I, th- I favor that, and there is talk in the legislature to doing just that. Uh, very serious talk, by the way. We would support that to go to an all-elected state school board. Now, again, the state school board can only give recommendation. It can only give resolutions. It's the legislature that enacts statute that actually puts it in law that the districts have to follow. Although, and let's point this out, the state school board members uh, many of them are supported by the teachers union, the very liberal teachers union, the NEA, uh, the OEA, and so they're funded to actually get these seats. And most times, people don't even pay attention uh, to the state school board races. Uh, uh, we started recruiting some candidates a few years ago, and we were successful. Kirsten Hill was one of those of which we recruited, and she's a strong, independent voice on the council. I told her that she would win, and she didn't even run much of a campaign, and she called me the day after the election said, you know, I won. I said, well, I, I thought you would. And she's actually been a good addition to the board, and she's been a great voice for conservatives. And then, of course, John, when I saw that you were running, that was also very helpful. Uh, Sarah Fowler, of course, uh, came off the board, ran for state rep. Uh, she also was a help on the board. Uh, but we're going to be recruiting new candidates, quite honestly, for the state school board uh, because of this kind of nonsense. Now, I can tell you this. Going to some meetings recently, I was down in Washington County, that's in Marietta, And uh, there was folks talking there about the critical race theory even being taught on online uh, charter schools that were public schools online, okay, Odella. And this gentleman was saying that both of my kids were telling me that they were getting critical race theory sentiments on their online, because it's a public charter school, Odella is. And, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, I think a lot of people would know that. Uh, even those who do homeschooling who might use Odella, the online school, uh, and here. So it's happening a lot of different places in different districts. So even if the legislature were to pass the bills that are before it currently, which is House Bill 327 and House Bill 322, and I believe that the Senate has a an amendment to the budget that they want to put in, 
Uh, what is your thoughts? Some of the districts are just going to go full steam ahead on this anyways because they're going to invoke basically home rule when it comes to this thing. Isn't that right? Yeah, I, I would say this very simply. And, you know, when we look at our state, we know we have a very diverse state. Uh, and, you know, if you when I was in the legislature, I looked at uh, who they sent. And, uh, you know, you can tell a lot about an area by who represents them. And uh, so, yes, you're, you're going to have in a uh, state that allows the local board to make decisions and the local school to decide what they want to put in front of students, uh, a lot of this going on in areas where that's what parents support or, or where parents pay no attention. Uh, and so that, that you can't stop uh, any more than you can stop uh, people from uh, promoting abortion and terrible ideas like that. Uh, but, you know, you, you talked a little bit about the, the makeup of the school board, and I wanted to address it specific to this resolution because I think it's very important when we think about what it means to have the governor uh, have a point E. Uh, in the vote for the resolution, uh, 12 members voted for the resolution. Uh, this is a 19-member board. Five members voted against and one abstained. The appointees were the majority of those voting for it. Seven appointed members voted for the resolution with five elected members, while five elected members voted against the resolution and one abstained. So just to do the simple math, if you erase the uh, appointed members, this resolution would not pass. I see. And that is with current situation. And as you stated, uh, the teachers unions are very active in these races. But yet we were able to have six votes that didn't support this resolution of our elected members. So I think that, uh, yes, we need a lot more emphasis on uh, who runs for these seats and, and how we fund them and, and how we get the word out to vote for the right people. But if we had only an elected board, I think we would do better than we're doing now on this kind of off-the-wall, way-off-target business. Uh, the, the bigger thing, though, that we have to be concerned about is, you know, you talked about these are, these are recommendations. Uh, we don't have the power to force things through. But let's, let's think about the real world. The state board hires the superintendent. Superintendent runs the state uh, department. So, you know, what the superintendent wants happens across the state. Uh, in schools that are making their own decisions, one of the considerations will be how does the money flow, grants, etc. Yes. Uh, I'm sure that everyone will argue that there's no consideration of whether or not you're doing it the way we think you ought to do it and whether money flows your direction. Uh, I happen to live on the planet Earth, and I have a feeling that that's not the case. John, you're going to uh, be at a rally. We just got about a minute left. You'll be one of the speakers. Tell us real quickly about that rally. Well, the, the rally simply is save our schools, save our students. And uh, it is a discussion about these things that are going on in schools, and it goes farther than the anti-racism uh, CRT 1619 it talks about 
the sexual training that's going on with students, the enticement to uh, students to think about whether or not they happen to be uh, the sex that they're born with, uh, all of those things are on people's minds in trying to protect our children, both from an innocent standpoint and from going down roads that will make their lives a living hell. John, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you, Chris. Keep up the work. Uh, Thank you, and God bless. And again, uh, folks, uh, if you've missed this program, listen to it on our website in its completion. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.